for centuries, for a long, long time, there's been a traditional Easter greeting that goes like this. He is risen, and then the response is, he is risen indeed. We're going to warm up now with that. I'm going to say he is risen. You're going to respond, he is risen indeed. I want you to say it like you believe it. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Now, the theological implications of this are incredible. It means that Jesus Christ is alive and just on the other side of sight. It means that he is here now. It means he is everywhere. Easter is the miracle of all miracles. The most amazing event in the life of the most amazing person who has ever lived. And the video we began with, this Twitter video, uh, Tweetio, our staff calls it. Uh, the reason we began with that is if Easter is true, most amazing event, most amazing person ever, then the ultimate question facing each and every one of us is, Will I follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? And so today, what I want to do is give you three reasons to follow Jesus. I want to look at uh, three things that emerge from the, the resurrection, that we learn about the resurrection, that help us uh, get at that. And in the first, I want to speak to your mind, and the second, I want to speak to your heart, and the third, I want to speak to your will. And I'll come back and explain why that, or, or not that order, but that is important. But before we jump in and look at one of the gospel accounts of the resurrection passage, I, I just want to offer a disclaimer and speak personally. And, and I want you to know I have not always believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter, for, as a matter of fact, for years, I personally wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I did not believe that Jesus was the most important person who's ever lived. I, I kind of thought I was. And um, when I was about halfway, not quite halfway through college, I got, I, I got to tell you something. I, I was a finance major. I was consumed with trying to figure out how to make as much money as I possibly could, uh, find the most beautiful uh, girl I, I possibly could. And, and right about this time, my sophomore year, in college, I encountered the resurrected Christ. I became convinced that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is real. I, I became convinced that the resurrected Christ is real. Can't see him, he's on the other side of sight. And I want you to know, man, I was going one way and Jesus totally transformed my life and I started going another way. And I had a pretty good life. I mean, I was a typical college student, but Jesus gave me a life that is infinitely better than anything I ever dreamed possible. And along the way, um, he produced in my life a, a steadiness, a joy, a peace, a, a faith that has enabled me to cope with overwhelming tragedy and loss that I never saw, never saw coming. And I want this for each and every one of you, this Easter 2015. 
Now, there are four accounts of the resurrection in the four Gospels, one in each of the Gospels. We're going to look at the shortest, the most straightforward, in some ways the, the simplest, um, and that is uh, the Gospel of Mark's account of the resurrection. So if you have a Bible, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 16. There's Bibles in the racks in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those. It's page 1,110. Some of you will have to turn on your Bibles, and I can't help you much with that from here. We're also going to put this on the screen so you can all follow along. And what I'm going to do is I'm, we're only reading eight verses. I'm going to read a couple of verses, make a couple of comments, and we'll work our way through these eight verses. So this is the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark's account. And we read in verse 1, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now we know from the previous chapter, chapter 15, that Jesus had died shortly after 3 p.m. on Friday. Now this, when we come to chapter 16, is Sunday morning. Uh, according to the way the Jews reckon days, it's uh, three days, the third day. And we're told that women bought the spices, and spices were a part of first century Jewish burial customs. So in other words, Mark's point is that Jesus had died. Everybody knew that Jesus had died. Everybody thought Jesus had failed. Let's continue, verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Now, I want to show you a couple pictures. Uh, uh, this is very interesting. Archaeologists in and around Jerusalem have excavated about a thousand of these burial tombs that go back to approximately the time of Jesus. But most of the tombs they have excavated don't have the rolling stones like we see in these two that have been preserved throughout the centuries. And the reason for that is the rolling stone was a luxury. It was only something the, the wealthy could afford. And we are told that Jesus was buried in the tomb of a wealthy man. Now this last picture is a picture Rhonda took or I took on one of our last trips to Israel. The stone hasn't been preserved. Uh, but I, I want to show you this picture because it's where many people feel Jesus was actually buried, Joseph's tomb. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about that, but I just want you to see that. Let's continue in verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. You've just seen a couple pictures of what they looked like. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Uh, of course, the other gospel writers tell us this was an angel. This guy's an angel. And Mark, he's just keeping things brief, and, and he's moving along, and he doesn't tell us that the other gospel writers tell us that this guy was, looked like lightning. And his robe was as white as snow. Let's continue, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the police place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. 
They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So number one, one of the first major, major lessons from the resurrection of Christ, not original with me, this is, people have been saying this in different ways for decades, for longer than that. But point number one, the resurrection is a paradigm-shattering historical event. Now, it's important to say that, and I, I want to face this head on, because many people, m- most people uh, t- today believe the resurrection never happened. Uh, uh, they would say, uh, we can't take this literally. Um, people aren't raised from the dead. Rather, this is a, what we have here is a spiritual message about hope. And the disciples wanted to believe it happened So they created this legend, Uh, they sort of backfilled to support their belief. I was taught this in college. Most religion classes, philosophy classes, most secular university campuses, almost all secular university campuses in the United States today say the same thing. But, if that's really true, we have, to, we have to ask some questions. It doesn't wash with what we have here. For example, if this really didn't happen, then why does Mark begin with the names of three women? Uh, by the way, um, in ancient literature, uh, mentioning people's names specifically was sort of like adding a footnote. And you'd go down and read the footnote, and the point of the footnote is, hey, you can track them. You can go talk to them. Uh, they were eyewitnesses, and they saw this, and you can talk to them. They're eyewitnesses. But more importantly, in the, in the first century world, women had very little status, no status. And readers, early readers of the Gospel of Mark, the other Gospels, would not have been impressed at all by listing women. And they would have read this and said, well, this isn't very credible. These are, these are the, this is an eyewitness testimony of women. In other words, if you were making this up, you wouldn't put women in the story. That Mark does is shocking. Indicating paradigm-shattering historical event. Furthermore, uh, uh, look at the last verse. Look at, look at how this story ends. Mark tells us these women leave confused, flummoxed. I love the word flummoxed. And they're afraid. And over and over, the, the Gospels cast the followers of Christ in a negative light. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're slow to believe I mean, Peter denies Christ, Thomas doubts Christ, Judas betrays Christ. When Christ is crucified, they all leave and go fishing. Uh, They were political people looking for Jesus to pull off a political solution. They wanted a political uh, deliverer, and Jesus ends up being crucified. They wanted a strong Messiah for strong people that would overthrow the Romans. They had no categories, just like we have no categories, for a weak Messiah who would be crucified. 
Now think about this. You're trying to launch a religious uh, movement and you're, you're, you're making up some things to um, uh, pad it because that you're, you're, what you're writing has no basis in history. Uh, you would cover up, not expose, the weaknesses of your leaders. But not Mark. They've just talked to an angel and they're still flummoxed. They're afraid. Nor is it the way in the other Gospels. So the question I, I want to pose, now we're back to paradigms. What if your paradigm is this life is all there is? And when you die, that's it. Uh, uh, no God, uh, no supernatural, no heaven, no hell. This life is, is all there is. Well, if that's your paradigm, this account shatters that. Or what if your paradigm is a, is, is a little different and your paradigm is, well, all, all religions kind of a, a express the same thing. They're equal. They're just different roads to, to the same God. This resurrection account, these resurrection accounts in the Gospels won't allow that. And you cannot just merely say, well, these are just gullible, pre-scientific people. The Jews would have been the last people to believe God could have come, become a man. Uh, uh, that, that a person could be uh, raised from the dead uh, in the middle of history rather than at the end of history, like the Jews believed, was inconceivable to the average Jew. In other words, what we have are datable, they're written as datable, real-time historical events. We're given detail, we're given names so we can check it out, check them out. And, and now hear me in this. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then how you may feel about the Bible or... Uh, the presence or absence of afterlife for other religions or the problem of evil, the problem of pain, or the impossibility of miracles, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The resurrection is a historical paradigm-shattering event. And what separates Christianity from all other religions is that it's the only religion that makes its validity totally dependent upon historical facts, historical narrative. And, you know, we, we, we just got to wrestle with why is it that uh, we have convinced ourselves that our paradigm, our worldview, is way more skeptical than theirs. You see, you can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. And the reason, the main reason I came to Jesus Christ as a 19-year-old is because I became convinced it takes more faith to doubt the resurrection than to believe it. Now let me move on. Uh, let, let me go a little under the surface now, and, and I, I want to speak to your hearts. I, I, I want to show you how this is really a heart thing. Because there's a, a second thing that emerges from the resurrection, 
And that is if we really understand the resurrection for what it is, we understand that it's all about connection or relationship or love. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a story. It's a story among lots of other stories, but it's a story. What is a story? A story is data with a soul. Data with a soul. And the data in, in, in this story is, is the historical testimony, the historical data, the eyewitnesses, the, the, the prophecy, the Old Testament uh, prophecy, the, the theology, the, uh, the identities, things like this. But the soul of the story is God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. So much, and he so wants to connect with us that he sends his son to die for us and he raises him from the, uh, the dead for us to redeem, rescue, and to restore us. So yes, Easter is a true story. That's point number one. But point number two is Easter is a love story. It's a story with a soul. It's a story with a heart. Because it's all about God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's mercy. His overwhelming desire to connect with people that have disconnected because guilt, shame, and sin. And God desires to connect. Uh, don't misunderstand. Not because he's weak, needy, but because he is good. And he wants what's best for you. Now, let me take this a little deeper. Here's why this matters. It matters, I said this a couple of weeks ago, because we live in a world that longs for connection. Each and every one of us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, where we work, each and every one of us has a deep, deep human desire for connection. But at the same time, there's something else going on inside of us. And that is that we fear we are unworthy or disqualified from connection because of the things we've done or the way we are. Guilt and shame. I mean, uh, how could God ever forgive me? Look at all the things I've done in the past. If these people really knew what I was like, if, my, if I really was open with my friends about the, what I was like, they would never ever accept me. And we are riddled with guilt and shame, and we just go through our lives and we keep trying to push it down. And so we pretend, because we want connection so badly, we pretend to be something other than we really are. We're not honest, we're dishonest. Or um, if the guilt and the shame is really bad, we despair and we hurt ourselves. And we isolate. And we're angry. We're angry people, and we don't even realize why we're angry. Now, let me go a step further. Uh, recently, I uh, heard a sociologist say that the difference between empathy and sympathy, empathy and sympathy, is empathy fuels connection, sympathy drives disconnection. What? She illustrated it this way. Uh, empathy is climbing down the hole someone is in in order to bring them out. Sympathy, however, is merely looking down the hole and saying, I'm sorry. 
You know, sometimes a, a word or a response can make things better, but ultimately for most of us, what makes things better is connection. And what did Jesus Christ do on Good Friday? He climbed down the human hole and died as our substitute for our sins. That's why he went to the cross. And instead of rendering judgment, he absorbed judgment. The wrath of a holy God uh, against sin, towards sin, fell upon Jesus, and Jesus was crucified in our place as our substitute, the divine prophesied Lamb of God. So that means the cross is the most dramatic act of empathy in all of human history, the story of all stories. And it alone is the ultimate solution to our disconnection, our guilt, our shame that causes us to pretend, causes us to lie, or causes us to withdraw, causes us to hurt ourselves. Okay, that's the cross. Now the question is, well, what about the resurrection? This is Easter. Well, the resurrection is the receipt you show at the door to the woman when you're leaving Costco. To validate that you paid the price. You purchased the goods. So what is the resurrection? Now hang with me. The, the resurrection is the cosmic receipt, the divine receipt, written across history, written across the sky, where God says, paid in full. Paid in full. On the cross, Jesus paid for all the sins of all who will believe. And the resurrection uh, it declares, it worked, that you're free to go. You can leave the store. That the disconnection, the alienation, the, the dysfunction, the, the pretending, all the phoniness of life is over and reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness is, is possible in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. So ultimately, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it's anything, it's connection. It's about connection. It's about relationship. That's a heart thing. It demonstrates God's love. Now some of you are thinking, okay, but how in the world does that relate to Mark's account here? Well, let me show you just a little illustration of that. In the second to last verse, that would be verse 7, the angel makes to the women a little statement with huge implications. She says, go tell Peter. What? Peter? Peter has just denied Jesus Christ three times. Next to the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, the denial of Jesus by Peter is the most horrific act of any of the disciples at any time. But the angel doesn't say to the women, hey, go tell Peter he's done. 
The angel doesn't say, you know, you, get, you, you disciples, oh, you, you guys have just blown it repeatedly. You argue about this, you don't believe this, you're skeptical, 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 hard-hearted people. And, and so um, uh, God's going to start over with a new group. The angel says, go tell the disciples. And he calls Peter by name. An incredible, an incredible picture of grace, forgiveness, and divine mercy. God knows we are all Peters. God knows our faith is really fragile, right? Our faith is fragile. I mean, all it takes is a flat tire, and we are 75% of the way to atheism. <laughs> Such great faith. No, man, have a flat tire. Yet here, Peter, who is just about to turn in his disciple card, is given his life back. You and I are Peter. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how bad it was. It doesn't matter how long it lasted, how many times we did it. Practically the first words out of the angel's mouth is, go tell Peter. And you don't think God wants to connect with you? You don't think you're good enough? You really think God is going to give up on you? Jesus Christ died in our place for our sin so that if we believe, if you believe and, and turn to Christ, you can find forgiveness. You can find deliverance from the alienation, the disconnection, the despair, the angst. And the, overwhelm, the overwhelming sense of unworthiness that we all have that is killing connection with God, with people. If God can forgive Peter, God can forgive you, right? Okay, that was not very good. If God can forgive Peter, he can forgive you, right? Amen. Right, okay. Okay, think about that. The resurrection is the divine receipt. It says you are free to go. That you paid the price. That you have been forgiven. That what Jesus did on the cross is legit and stands. So if we are going to follow Jesus, there's an aspect of our intellect, our mind, that's got to be involved. We've got to understand this is historical. And then there's got to be a heart thing. We've got to understand how much God loves us. The third, and now I get to the will, the third lesson, the third point I want to make is if we believe the resurrection, then we'll understand that the resurrection alone changes how we live. The resurrection alone totally changes how we live. Now the last thing the angel tells the women is just a short little phrase but the last thing the angel tells these wonderful women who just had every category in their life fried is just as he told you. What? Yeah, he is risen. Go here, go there. Just as Jesus told you while he was alive. Now think about that. If what Jesus said about the resurrection is true, then everything Jesus Christ said is true. 
And the resurrection then becomes the window through which we look at all of life, and it becomes the power by which we can change so we can live life the way God wants us to. So, for example, uh, if the resurrection is true, it means that Jesus Christ is reigning right now in heaven. Following the resurrection, Matthew chapter 28, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If the resurrection is true, that statement is true. Jesus now reigns. Jesus is the king. You and I are not the king. And you say, well, wait a minute. He's not doing a very good job. Look at the mess we're in. And the Bible says, well, hold on, hold on. His agenda is very different than ours. Well, our world is so full of trouble. Uh, yeah, sin does that. But the world is not out of control because the world is under Jesus' control because Jesus reigns, and that means history is headed someplace. You and I are headed someplace. And that Jesus will triumph because he's the king, you and I are not the king. So, now here we get to the will. I can choose, therefore, in Jesus Christ to be at peace. I can choose to handle suffering, setback, and, and loss because I know it's not my agenda. I know it's his agenda, and I know I am secure come hell or high water in Jesus Christ. It's a choice, will. A choice made by faith. I choose to be at peace and rest because I know he is the prince of peace, and he's got my back. Uh, let me take it a step, uh, another step. Uh, the resurrection also means not only does Jesus reign, but it means there is a future, a, a certain future that is a glorious future for all of us that will follow him. So before Jesus was crucified, just hours before Jesus was uh, crucified, he tells his disciples, man, I, I, I'm leaving. I go to prepare a place for you, and then I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you there. Now, most of us uh, today in America uh, have convinced ourselves that when we die, that's it. Steve Jobs, exactly what he said. I, I happen to believe that after I die, that's it. And then he went on and kind of humorously said, and that's why I didn't put on-off switches on the iPhones. We tend to think that's it. But if what Jesus said is true, man, um, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you uh, for you to be with me. The resurrection means there is life after death. And it means, therefore, I live a life of hope. This is a will thing, a, a, a choice thing. I choose hope because Jesus, I know, has overcome the world, will overcome the world. And not only is my eternity in heaven guaranteed, but every step of the way, by God's grace and Jesus Christ, is guaranteed for me as a child of God. So now we're back to the beginning. And this question, will you follow Jesus? Will you? Watch this video. God uh, has changed me beyond what I can describe. I think initially God changed me by just letting me know that I didn't have to do it all on my own. My process of coming to Christ uh, was just that. It was definitely a process. I probably would have honestly considered myself a Christian before then, even though I wasn't, had no idea what that meant. But 
I thought that God existed, and I probably even believed that Jesus was God, but it was just information to me. And going to church was really just a thing that I did to feel less guilty about how I was living the other six days a week. I came to Christ about six years ago after moving to Chicago. Once I was in Chicago, I went through a breakup and um, a girl at work, Kelly Smith, she started sharing her faith with me. A turning point for me was going to a trip to visit a friend of mine in Memphis. I was going to party all weekend long and I didn't want to do it, but I knew I would. I've heard the story before of how you came to Christ. I wasn't there, but I, I know you had a lot to drink and you came back home after the weekend with your best friend and you started to feel something's wrong with what I'm doing. I, I knew that God was starting to work in my mind of like my desires are changing and so I was sitting there that night in a chair and I just remember the Lord saying to me, it was not audible, but he was saying, you know, you are running out of time. Like you've heard the good news now, you've, you know about me and you are running out of time. And so that moment was when um, I came to Christ. I think before knowing God, I was so worried about making everything work out. I had plans and I wanted things to be perfect and I was a bit of a perfectionist and legalist and all those different things. And now I think it's a sense of freedom and it's a, it's being okay with not knowing what's going to come next because your hope's in Christ and you know you'll get through anything that comes up. And... I've seen your faith in Jesus affect every part of our family. <laughs> I get emotional. Your faith penetrates every area of your life as a husband and as a father and as an employee and as a son. I feel for the first time these last few years of a relationship that's deeper than any other relationship you can have and a hope that's greater than any hope that I had before. He's really shown me that if I don't get that relationship with him right, that I'm never going to get those other ones right. Mike and Taylor, are you guys in this service? Right there. Hey, thanks for sharing your story. Great job, you guys. Thank you so much. Now, these two videos, the one we began the service with and, 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 and uh, Mike's story, this, this video, are, are both about the same thing. They're both about following Christ. Only the second explains the first. What does it mean to call, follow Christ? Well, as Mike articulated in a story, it's not just an information thing. It's not just a head thing. It's not like we, we follow uh, somebody um, in social media. It, it, it's a heart thing as well. It's a, it, it's a, a, a will thing. It's a relationship we connect with Jesus. And so if you are here and you've been on the outside looking in and, and you believe about Jesus, as Mike said, but you haven't actually come to Jesus, I want to invite you to turn. And this Easter 2015, man, come to Jesus Christ. Depend upon him as, as your savior to forgive you and, and to cleanse you. 
and follow him. Because it's in following him, obeying him, worshiping him, honoring him, serving him, that you find freedom. That's a head thing, it's a heart thing, and it's a will thing. It's all of that. And so I'm about to pray, and, and as I pray, if you are here and, and you're not sure where you've been with Christ or you haven't yet made that commitment to Christ, you haven't depended upon Christ, do that with me as I pray. Let's bow and let's pray. You can enter into a, a, a saving, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Just pray with me in the quietness of where you are. Father, I confess that I have sinned against you. That I've walked away. Thank you that Christ died for me and was raised for me. Forgive me. Change me. Make me new. I give myself to you. And for those of you that are here and you've done that, you've entered into this incredible relationship, this supernatural resurrection life relationship with Jesus. Ask God right now to remind you all over again. God, remind me. Help me to see the wonder of your grace in your death and resurrection. Amen.